Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Kathy, Catherine Welberg to our show. Dr. Welberg is the interim president and also the provost at Athens State University in Athens, Alabama. Hi, Catherine. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Very happy to be here. So before we start, it sounds like, as I said, uh, you're the interim president. This is something that just happened very recently, and you're also wearing two hats. You're also still the provost. So how's all that working out for you? It's not boring. Uh, there's a lot going on, um, and much of it is very exciting. Um, so I am in kind of the the middle point. I'll be moving um, into wearing just one hat of interim president here very shortly, and um, I'll be able to bring in another one of my campus colleagues to to do some of the the provost work while we are in the in the in the throes of a of a search for our next permanent president. Oh, good. Good. That's always exciting. To uh, uh, is that something that you're interested in, or, or or where do you go from here? So that is a great question, and you are not the first person to ask me that. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things about higher ed is that we have all kinds of of options and opportunities uh, that sometimes come along, and sometimes we plan for them, and sometimes we don't necessarily plan for them, uh, but. Um, this is a this is a real chance for me to kind of step into a role and 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 see see what I what I like about that. I've been in I've been in higher education for over over thirty years, and I've I've done a lot of things. I've been a tenured faculty member. I've been a department chair. Um, I've been a director of a center. I've been a dean. I've been uh, I've been a director of assessment. Uh, so I have done I've worn a lot of different hats o- over the years and. Um, and so, you know, every time I feel like I really do understand higher education, something else comes along and, and, and adds another, another element, um, to that. So, um, so, so, so we'll see, I'd say check back with me in about a year and, 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 and let's see where we go from you there. You know what? I, I think I want to take you up on that offer. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, tell me a little bit about Athens State University and why students select your institution. So Athens State University is um, one of only two institutions in the country that is considered a, a senior division institution. Uh, we have um, since, um, uh, for, 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 for over a couple decades now, we have been the senior division institution um, and only accepting transfer students. Uh, we were up until 2012, uh, we were part of the Alabama Community College System. So we were the senior institution to the junior colleges. And uh, so so all of our undergraduate students uh, were transfer students that were coming in for the most part from community colleges. Now, as we all know, since, since 2012, and especially the last couple of years uh, with uh, enrollment patterns changing um, and with more competition for traditionally aged students, Everybody's looking for transfer students. That has become a very, um, a very valuable student uh, to look for. So, 
Athens State has um, is is by state statute um, a a senior division um, institution, uh, and we are now um, in uh, some competition with um, with our with our uh, with our partner institutions uh, across the state and 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 beyond um, for kind of that same pool of students. Um, what that also has done is allowed us to really think about. Um, who who we are and and who we serve. Um, and as a regional public institution, uh, we we serve our region. And so we have seen an increase in the number of what has always been called non-traditional students, which are becoming more and more the the norm. And right. um, so non-traditional may not be the right way to talk about students who are working adults who often have families uh, and uh, and are 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 trying to uh, come to college not just for the college experience, but for very specific targeted goals um, in terms of economic mobility, social mobility, uh, and, and, and those kinds of things. So Athens State has, um, has for, for many years been a, a transfer only undergraduate institution. And within the last um, about four years, we have started to add some master's programs. Uh, so, so we are uh, we ha- we are growing our, our master's uh, student population, and um, and that also adds um, a, an interesting element to to who we are as an institution. But we are we are one that is a as as all regional publics we 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 serve our region. Uh, and and we work very closely uh, with um, with the with the communities that surround us. Well, what's new at the university? Well, we have you know one of the big new things has been the the increase in graduate programs uh, and and moving into um, uh, graduate education and looking at at how how graduate students and graduate programs in general. Are, are very different from um, from our, our undergraduate students and our undergraduate programs. Um, we are also uh, having more um, opportunities uh, to to really partner with um, with local industry and local businesses. Um, Athens, Alabama, is right outside of Huntsville, Alabama, and 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 many of your listeners, I'm sure, um, have. Uh, have kind of seen the increase in um, some of the um, the rocket and and space industry, and Huntsville has been kind of the center of that uh, for for a very very long time, and so that area is growing and um, just just increasing um, immensely in terms of the science and the technology uh, that that is that is coming into. Um, Huntsville, which means there is an increased need for uh, for uh, for for work and uh, and and for employees who have skills in things like cybersecurity, um, in things like uh, uh, you know math and technical skills, um, but also in some of those uh, leadership areas that are part of the traditional um, liberal arts institution, uh, you know. Skills are great and very good, but also having the ability to, to be a good problem solver, to be a good communicator, to be able to work with a team, um, a cross-disciplinary team, uh, and those are so very, very important. And so one of the things that has really been new for us is, is tapping into and partnering with uh, local industry 
so that we can help them help their employees uh, become even more valuable. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, uh, you know, when when we talk to, well, when I've talked to other presidents, sometimes I mean, everybody's gets gets involved with all this this skill sets that they need. It's just like you know, I, I think I think business wants well rounded employees, just not somebody who can strictly do the the psychomotor skills that they need to do. So, exactly, and and I think that in higher education kind of does itself a disservice when we talk about um, you know workforce skills and. Uh, and 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 we typically tend to think of those as very um, very mechanical and and skill based, uh, and and those are those are certainly important in in particular parts of, of industry. But you know, workforce also needs all of these other um, often liberal arts uh, ways of thinking, and 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 so when we when we don't talk about that as part of uh, workforce preparation, I think we are, um, I think we are, we are losing uh, the opportunity to really bring in uh, more, not just more students, but more, more interest in higher education in, in general. Well, talk a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to become the provost and now the interim president there at Athens. When um, when I started uh, teaching as a as a, a assistant professor, um, I was a, an assistant professor in, in a psychology department um, at Stevens College, which is a, a small private women's college in Columbia, Missouri. Um, I came in. Um, I was ABD. I had one year left to to finish my dissertation, so that first year was um, you know teaching a very um, heavy load. Uh, Stevens was and still is a, a teaching institution. So we regularly taught uh, four courses each semester. Um, so I uh, jumped in and um, had had a, 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 an amazing, amazing time uh, while, while I was at Stevens. One of the things that happened uh, during uh, my, my years there was we had uh, the um, I'll call it the opportunity uh, to uh, go through our our next uh, regional accreditation and 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 reaffirmation of of that overall accreditation. And I was still tenure track. Um, I was still you know over my head in in trying to do prep work and everything for all of my courses. But I'm an educational psychologist by training, and so writing learning outcomes. Uh, was kind of something in graduate school we actually did for fun, um, which tells you about the excitement of my graduate life. But uh, but it was something that was normal and and easy to do. And and I saw some of our faculty and my colleagues not seeing writing learning outcomes for assessment plans as being easy and to do. And and so I um, went to our our, our dean of faculty and and said, you know not all that difficult to write these kinds of learning outcomes. Um, and then I was very surprised when she said, well, Catherine, you need to be on the committee. And um, so I got put on the, the committee, ended up um, editing and, and, and working with our self-study and found out that I was very interested in a regional accreditation. And so that kind of moved me into looking at um, assessment and accreditation um, and getting involved at the, the, the national um, conversation of, of, of all of that work. I was able to do a sabbatical in Washington, D.C. Uh, with the American Association for Higher Education. 
and really found that the policy piece of that was was fascinating to me. Um, I moved from there into a, um, a director of a, a teaching and learning center at Texas Christian University, and I was at TCU for for many years. Um, I did I was an assistant dean for a while. I also um, was working with teaching learning and uh, also in the provost office uh, with assessment. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, you know, I'd love to be a provost. I, I, I love those conversations. I love talking about teaching and learning. I love, I love the doing of the teaching and the seeing the learning, but I also like talking about it with others who are doing it. And so I started looking um, at some other leadership positions and I was nominated for a dean position and took that on uh, for a couple of years and um, and then moved in, was able to apply and and uh, moved into the, the provost position here at Athens State, um, which has been a, a you know, wonderful, wonderful time of, of learning and good colleagues and, and fabulous conversations about the directions of higher education. You know, I, I like that you have so many hats that you've worn before you've gotten into this position, because I think it's very helpful because whoever you talk to, you kind of understand their positions. I know sometimes if if uh, somebody wasn't, uh, for an example, uh, I assume uh, a department chair and and got a little bit more involved, because that's a that's a tough gig right there. Is yeah. You're kind of stuck in between administration and faculty. So all those little spots, I think, will serve you well moving into your interim position. Absolutely. I have lived their pain. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's a perfect phrase. That's the best way to say it. Uh, what's been your proudest moments? at the university? We have, um, you know, I think one of the opportunities that I have being a, a provost is to be involved in the commencement and graduation of, of all of our students. And, um, and, and I think that, that, that graduation time is my absolute favorite time of, of the year because you're able to see students who are so proud of what they've accomplished um, and, and, and their families that are so proud of what they've accomplished and their faculty who are so proud of what they've accomplished. Um, and, you know, we had um, in, in uh, a semester ago during our, our commencement ceremony, we had um, uh, a student who was walking across the stage had, had received his, his diploma and, and, and his name had been announced and he was walking over to, to shake hands with, with the president. And you hear a voice out of the, the back of the, 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 the gym saying, that's my daddy. And, you know, I can't even think about that without almost tearing up because it was so wonderful and so sincere and so meaningful. And, you know, those kinds of things, I think, are really my proudest moment when when I can see that I've been a part of a, 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 a huge village um, that is really helping our students to 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 do what they have always dreamed of doing. Well, what's been some of the biggest lessons you've learned as an academic leader? I think number one, communication is what it is all about. Um, and I, everybody says that, and that sounds really, really trite. Um, but even though as, as academic leaders, I think I've said something and I know I've sent it out in four different emails and it's been on the agenda for the last three weeks. 
there are still people who who haven't really heard it. And it doesn't do me any good to go, well, I sent it out in you know three past emails and you should have read it. But the point is they haven't heard it. And so how how can we have better communication um, opportunities and strategies so that we aren't just talking at someone? Uh, so so when I have my dean's council meetings or when I'm meeting with department chairs or now as 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 interim president as I meet with cabinet. Um, I, I would much rather us have a conversation. And, um, and so here's an issue. Here's a, here's a concept. Here's something that I, you know, read in, uh, you know, one of the academic, you know, Chronicle or higher inside higher ed or, or, or whatever. How does that affect us? What does that do? Um, and really get different perspectives and make it, um, a way where people know that they can, they can, they can say what they think, and um, and that that is is valued, uh, and and that that becomes a, a very very important piece. When I um, uh, I also am a um, in my 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 spare time, um, I, one of my hobbies is glass blowing, and so I am a, a I work with hot glass, and and I have had an incredible opportunity to to go around the country um, taking different classes with glass masters and in, in, in different different places and it's been amazing. And I was at um, a, a, a glass school in um, outside of Seattle, Washington, it's Pilchuck. And there was a, um, a, a glass master who was, who was teaching a class and I was in the audience watching and he has a, a team of people working with him. And, um, and they, they were uh, not his regular team. These were people that had, were, were helping. And, and, and there was, there's one person who, who was really trying hard, but wasn't able to do the job that he was doing. And he kept kind of not doing it right. And he was clearly getting upset and anxious and, and nervous and, and everybody was noticing it. It was, it was a little, you know, kind of uncomfortable. And uh, the person who was, who was uh, leading all this just simply gave him a different job, which he could do and everything moved on. And one of the things that he said afterwards was, that um, as a as a glass blower, his role is to make everybody feel included and make sure that everybody has a part and that make sure that they can do the part that they're given, so that they feel that they are 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 productive, um, and it makes it a true team effort. And that has been something that I can apply in every situation in my life. Whenever I'm working with a group of people, make sure everybody knows what's expected of them, and um, and 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 feels reasonably confident that they can do what's expected of of them and be part of that um, end product, whatever it happens to be, whether it's a beautiful vase um, or a new um, gen ed curriculum uh, or or a reaffirmation document that's that's going to to the accreditors. And if everybody feels that they have a part, it it becomes truly a team effort. What a great example. I, I was just thinking my wife and I have gone and we've watched glass blowers. That's, mm-hmm. that's just, we've sat in the audience and we've seen that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a, a, such an exciting thing, but what a great example to talk, to put it in perspective with teams. Um, what do you think are the major challenges that universities will face over the next five years? Oh gosh, there's a such a list. Um, you know, number one, enrollment. 
Um, there, there, I don't think there is a single, well, there are probably a few, there's a handful of institutions that may not be overly worried about this, but, um, but most of our institutions um, are, are seeing declines in enrollment. Um, they are seeing, um, and, you know, just, just numbers decreasing in, in a lot of ways. And I think, I think one of our challenges in higher education is to stop thinking about the way it was when we were college students because that is not the way it is anymore, um, for the most part. We have to um, kind of open those doors to the ivory tower and recognize that while the ivory tower is lovely and wonderful, and I, I, I very much like being there, um, I'm not gonna exist there very long if I don't open those doors and, and, and look at what other kinds of things are happening. So, uh, you know, as, as we look at, you know, what is a credential, uh, you know, what is a degree, um, are we going to be in competition with industry that is giving credentials? Um, and right now, most of us see industry credentials as something that um, that competes with us. And um, and for the most part, we're going to lose that if if we keep trying to compete with you know the big if you know if Amazon wants to offer a, a credential that will get somebody hired. Who's going to choose that over, you know, a, a degree in, in in something from a from a from a university? Uh, and and so we have to start thinking differently. We have to look at partnerships differently. We have to look at uh, what the end goals are um, of of our students, and that means not just within our universities, because that becomes kind of the easy part. Um, the hard part is having this conversation nationally. Because when we look at what our creditors are asking for, uh, what the Federal uh, Department of Education is, is asking for, um, when we look at the formulas that are in place and things like iPads and, and other, other, other areas, uh, where first-time, full-time freshmen who are continuously going through school are the numbers that count. Well, we know that many of our students stop out, the enrollment patterns are changing, and those are not reflected in a lot of the ways that we use to measure success and the, the ways that sometimes funding comes to us. So we have to start thinking differently about how we are, uh, how we're measuring success, how we're tracking uh, what, uh, what we want students to, to, to be able to do and what we want to do as, a, as, as an institution. So I think that enrollment and how we measure success um, are are some of the biggest challenges that that are that are that are facing us right now? Yeah, that's that's really a good point. I know, I know. Back in the day when I was a faculty member, is you know when a student stopped out, they had real reasons. You know, oh. I mean, and 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 if you're supposed to be this student centered faculty, you're trying to do what's best for them, and and you don't think about, oh my gosh, how's this going to affect my budget and our and our enrollment and everything else? And so, yeah, I would I would love to see. A, a true conversation on a national level instead of just little fires being put out here and there. So, right. Great. And, point. and, you know, as we have students who are working adults going full time is not something that, that, that all of them can do. And right. that's not a bad thing. And we've got to have a system in place that allows for that to, to become normal and, and, and not, you know, kind of a, a, you know, seen as a failure on the part of the student or on the part of the institution. Uh, you know, we have, how do we, how do we follow up with those students? How do we make sure that they're still 
um, you know, getting the messages about enrollment for the next time? Or, you know, does that mean they lose their scholarship? And if they lose their scholarship, maybe they can't come back. And how, how are we designing our policies around what students really need? Well, what will opportunities look like, do you think? over the next five years for you guys? Well, and, and I think I think we have, um, you know, if we, if we look hard, we have a lot of opportunities. One of them is certainly um, bec- becoming more um, engaged with, um, with, with industry, with K-12 uh, schools, and making it so that, that we are really part of the fabric of our communities. Um, there have been some people who've talked about kind of a 60 year curriculum. Uh, you know, we know that a, that a student may come in and maybe they get a credential or a degree, they go out into the workforce. Uh, well, what they learned is going to change uh, depending on the, the area that they're in. It's going to change very quickly. Um, and are we welcoming those those students back? Are we providing a way for them to to come back so that we become uh, a um you know, a, 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 a door that's open to opportunity, um, not just, oh, you graduated, you're an alum, we're just going to call you and ask you for money, um, which, of course, we do. And, and you know, and, and thank goodness, because that's a that's a great thing. But we also need to be saying, oh, are you also interested in this? And we have something that's really relevant. Uh, that 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 you or your your colleagues at work might like, or or that your, you know, your neighbors might like. Uh, so, so, and and to do that, we have to have something that's really relevant and meaningful uh, for for them to to come back to. Uh, so, I think our challenges and our opportunities kind of kind of meet together here, where we can't always do what we've been doing, but when we start thinking about how we can better partner uh, with uh, you know with with the communities, with with industry, with um, with other institutions to really strengthen. Um, strengthen the the educational system that that we're all a part of so moving away maybe some from some competition and uh, you know more collaboration um i think is 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 where those those opportunities are really going going to be well what do you think's been learned about online education since the pandemic and how do you see this platform evolving well i think one of the things we learned is that actually yes we can we can do it. Um, and I, I, you know, when the when the pandemic started, I was I was a dean, and with everybody else across the world, uh, within about a two week time period, we moved everything online, and um, and that and that would never have happened um, uh, before. People just wasn't wasn't going to happen. So we learned that we can do it. Um, now that doesn't mean that we can do it well always, and and certainly I think one of the things that we've seen is that um, there is there is just like there is good in on ground and and you know in class um, teaching there is there is good online teaching and there's also some some really bad examples um, out there of, of of how to do that. But technology and how we use technology as a tool for pedagogy um, has. I think really provided us with um, with more options. One of the things that um, that Athens State has been able to do, uh, one of our one of our faculty members, Dr. Mark Gale, has um, with a with a team has has gotten some FIPSI money and is looking at taking a high flex approach, but including active learning in that. 
so that, and what something we're calling active flex, so mm. that there is, it, it rather than having faculty and in high flex, you often have to have an on ground and an online. Right. So you're kind of doing double the amount of, amount of work with high flex. It's designed differently so that y- those options are available, but they are embedded in such a way that a student can choose how they want to interact with the material um, in, in, in any way. Um, and the faculty member is providing those different um, entry points um, to all of this, but it's all focused still around active learning. So it's not just go, you know, listen to a 50 minute recorded lecture and, you know, take a test. Um, it is it is that active learning theory of, of being engaged and being part of that and responding and working with others, um, but but doing it in ways that are sometimes on ground, sometimes online, sometimes asynchronous, sometimes synchronous, so that you've got different approaches uh, to doing that. And because of the the um, improvements in some of the technologies, we're, we're able to do more of that. And I think the next thing down the road um, is some of the virtual reality uh, work that's being done. And there's a lot of that that's happening. Um, and that's just going to, I think, explode in the next five years where um, we're going to have not just um, online where you're watching, you know, looking at a two-dimensional screen of, you know, the the Brady Bunch, you know, faces, uh, but you are actually in a a virtual space that is is much more in, engaging, and um, you know, that that the improvements that we've seen in in that technology over the last you know five or six years is just incredible, and where we're going to be in five years with that is going to be stunning and and, and amazing. Um, and we see that in the uh, in the gaming industry, um, and there's certainly a lot of esports and other kinds of, of you know uh, multiplayer games that are happening out there. What if we could take that approach and put it into a into a, a classroom where you've got that same kind of of attention and an engagement, in, you know, in in you know in a chemistry lab. Um, or a, uh, you know, a, a course on Shakespeare, you know, where you're actually there and seeing and hearing and, and, and working uh, with, um, with virtual reality, but also with your, with your peers. So I think, I think virtual reality and, and some of the augmented reality that we're seeing coming out is going to be, is going to be more technologies that are really going to impact online learning and, um, and, and truly on ground learning as well. Yeah, it. I, I agree. It's going to be so exciting down the road. I I always kind of chuckle because I was a dean in March of 2020, so I remember going to faculty, and and of course some faculties are like, "There's no way, you know, it's impossible." And then of course all of a sudden everybody can do it. Right. And now I, it's amazing. People are get excited about what's going to come down the pipe is because it really is going to make learning more uh, relevant uh, to a student trying to to develop their skills in that work right. environment. So. Um, well, and, and so that the challenge that's going to come with that, too, is making sure that we still actually have access uh, for everyone, because I think the pandemic showed us also that not all of our students had the kind of bandwidth that we right. kind of assumed they might have. Not all of our faculty had that um, that uh, literal bandwidth, um, yeah. you know, working working from home. Uh, and so uh, how we make sure that our students and, and our faculty can access um everything that they need to access is um, is 
is, is it going to be is it going to become a real e- equity issue uh, with that? I know there's a lot of uh, conversations that have been uh, having about equity um, and making sure that 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 our our students, our faculty can can get into the systems that they that they need to get into. Yeah, good point. Um, I'm going to use the word non-traditional students, but I guess you know, as you kind of point out non-traditional is turning in tradi- traditional, but so I'm thinking of older students, you know, not the typical 18 through 25, uh, married, lots of kids, or just a couple of kids. But bottom line is it's a struggle to come to, come to college at some time. So what can, what can colleges and universities do to kind of uh, help serve that student population better? So I think we, all, we have to be flexible. Um, and that means sometimes offering uh, offering classes in different formats, you know, what's magic about 16 weeks, uh, and you know, are, are eight weeks better. And sometimes the answer is no, eight weeks are not better because some things need to have time to, um, to process. And and, and, you sound like an educator there. Cause I've, I, that's, that's the problem when people always try to brunch them up. You've seen students where they need time to learn. Absolutely. And, and so I think we've got, that's why that flexibility becomes, you know, some things we might be able to do in eight weeks. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, maybe even a, a two-week, you know, block where that's all that's happening and it's really, really, you know, intense. Um, but but maybe sixteen weeks is better. Maybe it doesn't need to be sixteen weeks. Maybe it needs to be six months. Um, and you know that that we've we've had time be such a such a constant in in a lot of what we do when we measure seat time and we measure. Um, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's based on on time. It's not based on learning. So we've got to let go of some of that so that we can be more flexible um, to, um, to 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 work with that. Which means we've got to change some systems. You know, if grades are due on this date, and we're changing the system so that not everything's finished, well, then we're gonna have we're gonna have to change how we are um, how we're evaluating students and how we're reporting on that evaluation. How we're how our, our scholarship systems are, are working so that that we can really help to support, you know, that that student who's got, you know, family and kids and 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 uh, work uh, that, that's going on. But I think that we also have to be very careful to flexibility. Yes, but we've got to keep the standards high uh, so that you know, if we if we if we try to be so flexible and so helpful that we are not holding students accountable to the learning that we need them to have, um, then that's that's almost worse than not being flexible at all. So we've got to figure out how to have high expectations for for learning and for the work that is produced, but not necessarily uh, rigid timelines and 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 structures in in all that we do yeah. um you know as a faculty member i you know i had a due date your paper's due on this date if it's not turned in uh you're going to lose half a letter grade for every day that it's not turned in and 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 i was adamant about that and now i look back on that and think you know maybe that wasn't the best way to 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 do it because you know, who knows what was going on with those student lives so so i think that we have to be flexible and yet have have high expectations um, and high thresholds of for quality of, of work. I've said the same thing to myself over the years. As you get older, it's like, how did I get smarter? I don't understand. I thought <laughs> I was so right back then. Um, 
a lot of universities are focusing their attention on mental health. And of course, that's both for students and faculty. Um, what do you think campuses do can do to tackle that problem? We've seen certainly more um, options for um, uh, counselors, psychologists uh, to be present on campuses. Um, uh, on at Athens State, we've uh, we've seen real success in offering um, uh, virtual uh, counseling opportunities uh, for students. Uh, we and 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 we've been able to do that um, by by partnering uh, with a um, with a with a third party to provide uh, that to to students, so that um, when a student uh, calls in uh, or 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 emails in or or chats in or or whatever, um, there is always somebody there to um, to to respond, and that gets triaged. Uh, so that a student comes in and and you know what's 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 the level of of, um, of of concern? Is it just somebody who wants to talk to someone? Great, we've got that. Is it somebody who's um, you know a little little bit more than that? Well, let's move them into um, a second level. Or if it's a it's a if it's a crisis situation uh, that that somebody is able to recognize that immediately and um, and, and and respond appropriately. Um, to to that particular crisis. Next question is, if you had any extra budget money right now with no strings attached, of course, I'm going to talk about just a one-time fund. So it's not, so, so salaries can't go on forever. Um, how would you spend it? You know, and you, you had mentioned that you might ask this question. And so I I've been, I've been thinking um, about what that, what, what, what that would be. Um, you know, and if I put my president hat on, um, we have some deferred maintenance that I would love uh, to, to 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 get done, where we could um, take some of our, uh, you know, some of our buildings that need a little bit of extra work, um, and and really turn that into, you know, a, a, a just amazing space, uh, you know, that would allow for the type of engagement that we want to have, uh, which would involve some technologies, but also would um, would um, would be would be a, a, a appropriately sized space. Um, Athens State University is 200 years old, um, and mm. we are starting into our third century um, of being a, an institution of higher learning. And um, so we have some buildings that are um, that are uh, we that are original buildings to the to the, the the campus, and they are beautiful, and um, and 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 could probably use a little bit of work. Some, much of Many of our buildings are actually in very, very good shape because we have done ongoing um, upkeeps. But, you know, if we had just a pot of money, uh, you know, to build some type of a, um, of, of a center that could also be open to the community, uh, that could also be, uh, be used uh, by campus. So I think having having a space where things could happen, where we could be flexible um, in that space. We actually were able to use some of the federal money um, over the last couple of years that came because of COVID um, to update um, almost all of our classrooms. So all of our classrooms have updated um, technology in them to allow for this kind of active flex approach. Um, but as part of that, we also had to, um, up, update the the floors and the walls uh, for some soundproofing and um, and 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 making sure there were sufficient power outlets 
uh, around the room. And so, so I think, you know, with, with, with a one, a one time pot of money, I think I'd want to look at building out um, a space that would be, would be flexible enough to do the types of, of engagement with our students, with our alums and with the community uh, that, um, that, 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 that we, we could have. Um, so I think that's, you know, that would be kind of a, a big pot of money. There were a smaller pot of money. Um, I, I would probably want to do um, a, 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 an intensive week long or so workshop where we got people together to really talk about, uh, you know, what is next and how do we do this and how do we create the kind of learning environment that we want to have, bringing in potentially guest speakers, bringing in, you know, others to, to really have a uh, kind of a symposium on the future of, 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 of higher education and, and, and the role that the Athens State would play in, in creating this, this future of higher education. You know, I, I took a virtual tour of Athens State University. And so it is a, it looks like what I would envision a Southern college or university look like uh, Founders Hall or is it Founders? Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was, it's just like, yep, that should be in every, in every catalog across the country when it comes to, this is what you think of when you think of a Southern university. And for, for anybody who's listening, you know, if you Google Founders Hall, Athens State University, you will see a beautiful building with the columns and the veranda. And yeah. it is, it is absolutely gorgeous. And, um, and, and it is a, it is a place where people in the community come and take photos. Yeah. Um, we have concerts that are out there. It is it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah, it, it, you really do have a beautiful campus. I would encourage anybody who's a, close to that area to swing by and take a look at the the, the beauty of your. And campus. of course, we're old buildings, so we have ghost stories, and um, and so we've got some wonderful, wonderful stories that include the history. Um, and it means at Halloween, uh, the, the 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 town and the the university coordinate to have. Um, you know, stories about the, the past and, and, you know, with, with, with a little bit of the, that ghost story added in there too. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's so neat. Well, here's my last question. Do you have any favorite books on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders? I do. And I just happen to have them right here because I knew you were going to ask. So Here we go. So one of my favorite books that I use a lot is Positive Academic Leadership. Um, and I don't know if you could see that. Um, by, oh, I, ha I have that book. Yeah. Jeffrey Bueller. Uh, yeah. And almost anything by him, I have used many, many times. And I've used it as leadership development with my deans, uh, with my chairs. Uh, it is a fabulous approach. And the reason that I first picked this book up is because of the subtitle, which is how to stop putting out fires and start making yeah. a difference. And, you know, anybody who's done any academic leadership, you could spend your whole day putting out fires. And at the end of the week, think I've done nothing. Right. So we've got to find the way to make a difference, even though we still got to put out the fire. So I think that's one of them. The other book that I have really found that I love is Academia Next, The Future of Higher Education by Brian Alexander. Yeah. And that 
Uh, Brian Alexander is a futurist. Um, he's at uh, Georgetown University, and he has a fascinating approach to, to looking at what if and, and how might this be. And he uh, has a, a, a great way of, of looking at those things, and it, it kind of kind of makes you think. And so his work has um, has been fantastic and and continues on and um, and so that academia next I think is a is also a, a really great um, book to, to add to your collection. I'll put it on my book list great. Well Catherine, thanks so much for being on our show. I really enjoyed our conversation. Well I have too thank you very much. Well that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.